The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 27 Within a Summer's Night June 2002 I have to go down there, I said. I don't know exactly what came over me. I don't know exactly why I felt like I had to chase that thing into the water. Maybe I needed to prove to myself that I wasn't crazy and I wasn't seeing things. But I knew I had to go. You can't, Sam said, grabbing my arm again. I knew that I should listen to him, but I didn't. Instead, I took off running toward the water. There's nothing quite like running on the beach at night, especially when your heart is already pounding. Sam might have been behind me, but I couldn't hear him with the wind rushing past me and the deadening effect of the sand beneath my feet. It was almost like there was nothing around me at all, like I was flying free of reality. I wanted to see it. I didn't want it to come after me, but I wanted to see it. I wanted to prove that it existed, not just to myself, but to everyone else as well. I reached the edge of the water, splashing into the waves, breaking through the surf, pulling my cell phone out of my pocket at the same time. The water rippled strangely just ahead. The waves broke their usual pattern as something cut through them, the low, rolling spine of something huge, something that should be heading the other way, something that we definitely didn't want swimming toward us. As the stupidity began to wear off, I realized that coming down here had been incredibly dumb. I should have listened to Sam. I should have stayed in the car in the first place. This thing was barreling straight toward us, and there was literally nowhere to hide. Except, I looked back over my shoulder. There was a patch of trees just up the beach. Maybe I could make it there before the creature made landfall again. Maybe it was incredibly stupid and it wouldn't think to look for us there. Sam reached the water just as I left it. What are you doing? He snapped. I didn't wait for him to see the monster. I grabbed his hand and started running toward the stand of trees. I'd never been a particularly fast runner, but that night I might as well have been an Olympian. The sand slipped away under our feet as we ran for the patch of trees. I could hear the water scattering unnaturally behind us, sliding off the back of that creature and running down into the ocean. We didn't dare slow down as we approached the woods. I felt the branches cut through the skin on my arms and face as I stumbled into the forest. I tripped over roots and landed hard on my hands and knees. Sam was immediately down beside me, pulling me over a patch of brush covering a fallen log. Turns out it was a blackberry bush and I winced as the thorns tore at my clothes and arms some more. Still, it was better than getting ripped to shreds by whatever had just walked out of the ocean. I pushed deeper into the bushes until I felt them close in over my head. And then we went entirely still, waiting and listening. 
The worst part was that we couldn't hear it at all. When it moved, it glided. I'm not even fully convinced it always touched the ground, but if it did, it was like a feather touching rabbit's fur. No one would ever know. So no, I didn't hear it coming. I saw it first. Something moved along the other side of the trees, hulking, milky, pale like the sun on a foggy day. I pulled back instinctively, back against the tree, and I looked over at Sam. I couldn't see him in the dark. I might as well have been alone. I always thought I would be brave in a situation like this. Well, I suppose if I'm honest, I never thought I would be in a situation like this. But I guess I had always thought that if I was in danger, I would play it cool, breathe calmly, and manage to keep myself in check. Instead, I wanted to shrink out of existence. I wanted to close my eyes and fall back into the brush, and I wanted to reach for Sam's hand and never let go. But something else came to mind. If this was real, the others needed to know about it. I thought about Crown and Lana and I thought about how hard it was going to be to get them to believe me if I didn't have some kind of proof. So slowly, keeping my eyes set on the wrinkled flesh of the creature stalking just beyond the woods, I reached for my phone. I slid it out of my pocket and switched it to video mode. I held it up, careful to make sure that I had a clear view through the branches. The quality was terrible grainy, shaky, and weirdly colored. But the moonlight was bright enough to provide just enough light to discern the shape of the creature. I held the phone up higher. I was about to use the buttons to zoom in on the creature when my phone buzzed. I almost dropped it in shock. It was a text from my sister, and the timing could not have been worse. The monster's head swung around, jutting in between two trees, following the sound of my phone until its long snout hung just above our hiding spot. My breath caught. I tried not to move. I looked up at the elongated face, the dragon-like snout, the seaweed nodules hanging from its neck. But my eyes landed on its eyes. Wide, milky, opalescent like the gemstone in my grandmother's wedding band. There was an unfocused quality to them, and I wondered in that moment if it could see at all. But it could hear. I didn't move. I wasn't thinking about the video anymore, but I didn't want to put the phone down for fear that it would make more noise. If June texted again, it would definitely make more noise, and if I tried to turn it off it would also definitely make more noise. My arm began to ache as I held it there extended. I tried not to breathe, and I tried not to swallow. And finally, the creature turned its face away from us. It drew its long neck back out of the woods, easing its body away from the forest and back down toward the ocean. I didn't let myself breathe again until it was halfway there and I didn't put my phone down until it disappeared into the water again. Sam moved before I did. 
I felt him rustle softly beside me and half wanted to clamp down on his arm and tell him to wait just in case, just in case that thing hurt us again. I didn't, though. I let him climb out of the bushes and I let him help me out, too. I put my phone back in my pocket and stepped out of the thicket on shaky legs. We stayed utterly silent and stayed in the forest as we made our way back up the bluff. I don't think either one of us was eager to step back onto that beach, exposed and defenseless under an overly bright moon. So we made our way back up to the road through the trees, giving ourselves a few more scrapes and bruises as we went. The car was exactly where I left it, eerily lit by both headlights and dome lights, both front doors wide open. I was glad no one had come to check on us. I wouldn't have wanted to try to explain our situation to any of these poor middle-class families. Sam went to the driver's seat, and for that I was grateful. I wasn't sure I could do that right now. The adrenaline was wearing off and my hands were beginning to shake. The realization sunk in that I had just taken a huge risk by leading Sam out to the ocean like that. Presumably, this was the thing that had killed Brad. The realization hit hard, and I found myself fighting just to hold it together. I guess we have an answer about whether or not our dream monster is real. Sam said in the same tone as if he had been discussing the outcome of a disputed boxing match. The creature that had just gone into the sea was unmistakably the thing from my dreams and the thing that Reed and his ancestors had drawn. Yeah, I said and then cleared my throat to keep my voice from cracking. So I guess now we have to start treating our dreams and our children's books as guides to the real world. I wasn't happy with this development. Up until now, my world had presented itself with a certain order and intentionality that now seemed antiquated and useless. All of my logic, all of my normal methods for gathering information and making decisions, seemed to have slipped away into the gravity well of what we had just witnessed. Can we be 100% sure we're awake? Sam asked. It was a valid question at this point. It hung there for the rest of the trip home. I didn't really think I was dreaming, of course, but this reality was equally insane. Sam parked the car and dropped his head back against the seat. You almost got us killed out there, he said. His words came like a punch to the throat. At first I thought it was a joke, an attempt at dark humor to add levity to the situation like usual. But when I looked over at him, he was looking back at me fully serious. You just took off, he said. Did you even think about what could have happened to us? What almost did happen to us? I couldn't bring myself to respond for a moment. I thought, I said weakly after a moment, thought we should try to prove it to the others so we could convince them. I mean, none of us can stay here and they're not going to believe us if we don't have proof. I pulled my phone out of my pocket, hoping I had captured something worthwhile. 
The video showed a white shape passing in front of the camera. It showed me fumble and nearly drop the phone, and it showed a glimpse of the creature's face, an unnatural eye that could have been almost anything. Guess we might as well try, Sam said after the video ended. As we headed up the stairs to our apartment, the dust began to settle in my brain, and I realized fully that Sam had every right to be mad. I had almost gotten him killed, and I couldn't even claim ignorance. I knew he would follow me. What else was he going to do? I should have thought about it, but I had been so distracted by the need to prove this thing. I texted ahead and told Lana to meet us in Sam and Crown's apartment. I got a text a few moments later that read, Can't. I'm on my way to Seattle. Ah, that's right. Sam sighed. She's headed over to hang out with Logan since she couldn't make it to the graduation. I texted back and told her to get ready for a call on speaker, unwilling to give up that easily. By the time we got to Sam's apartment, the shakiness in my hands had dissipated into a general jello-legged, floppy-necked state. Everything hurt. My muscles were sore from the sudden stop, and everything else hurt from all the scratches and pokes from the forest. Crown met us in the hallway. I just got your text, he said. What's going on with you two? Sam and I ignored him and slid past into the apartment. Sam immediately went to the corner and started pacing in front of the eerily open windows. I went straight to the wall of windows and began slamming them shut one after another. Yeah, that's probably a good idea, Sam said. He came behind me and closed the blinds, which was probably also a good idea given that we had no idea what attracted the monster to certain people or certain locations. Light? Movement? Noise? I made an effort to close the windows more quietly after the last thought occurred to me. We knew so little. What are you guys doing? Have you lost it? Crown asked. I ignored him and shut the last of the windows. Is this a game? He speculated, and I knew that he was probably thinking about our favorite beach pastime. Sam, this is weird, man, even for you. He sat down at the table. We patched Lana into the conversation. She sounded utterly exhausted, and I had to guess that she probably was irritated to have her commute interrupted. This better be important, she said. Oh, it was important, all right. Sam and I saw something, I said. Crown watched us like he was trying to gauge how seriously he should be taking all of this. I pulled my phone out of my pocket. Lana, I'm going to send you a video, I said. You need to pull over and watch it. Ivy, I love you, kid, but I'm on I-5 and I'm all the way over in the left lane. I'm not going to pull over. She's serious, Sam said. Pull over. Lana had to find an exit, so it took her a while to follow her instructions. Once she was safely parked, I sent her the video. I then handed the phone to Crown so he could watch at the same time. As I watched Crown watch the video, I felt my heart sink. 
the quality of the video was terrible. Something like an 8-bit arcade game. I knew that much. I had hoped that perhaps our insistence would be enough to convince the other two, but as I watched Crown, I had a feeling that this wouldn't be the case. If you guys just wanted to show us your cell phone tricks, I wish you would have waited until breakfast, Crown said. I shushed him, and he must have sensed something in my unusual display of frustration because he glanced at me once and went serious, leaning closer to the screen. I wish his confidence had found a better home than my stupid little video. I readjusted so I could watch the video, too. At first, it showed nothing but silvery trees and pale brush, and then, slowly, a nondescript shape of something giant and bone-colored appeared in the backdrop. I knew what it was, but on the screen, it was utterly useless. It could have been anything. It could have been car headlights, or moonlight revealed by breaking clouds, or a glitch in the camera. I saw it too. Sam said, clearly thinking the same thing I was about the video and trying to bolster our credibility. The monster turned toward the camera, but it was impossible to see what we were looking at. The video ended. Everyone was silent for a moment, and at first, against all odds, I hoped that we had convinced them. Then Lana's voice crackled from the phone. So you filmed a bird or something, she said. It was the size of a car, I replied. Okay, a pterodactyl then. She sounded infuriated and I couldn't help but be infuriated in return. It wasn't really her fault. So far all we had managed to do was show her a grainy video of what could have been a heron. Even so, her flippancy grated against everything I had just experienced. Come on, you two, I have a drive to make, she said. Crown, however, regarded us more thoughtfully. It was the size of your car, he said. Bigger, Sam replied. We almost ran into it, then we followed it down to the beach, Sam said. He glared at me as he said this last part. I ignored it. Maybe he was right, but if we hadn't followed it to the beach, we wouldn't have this video. We wouldn't be able to warn our friends. Nothing had happened, and therefore I had to believe that it had been worth the risk. This is dumb, Lana said after a moment. Lana, I said, I needed them to believe us. I needed them to be safe. We gotta leave town, you guys, Sam said. Crown turned to look at him. Leaving town seems extreme, he said. Even if there is something out there. I mean, it only comes out at night so far. Guys, you can't be serious, Sam said. But I could already tell it was too late. I could tell from the way that the tension in Crown's body had melted away that... He didn't believe us. He was humoring us. I shook my head. Sam, maybe we should take this up in the morning, I said. He looked at me like I was crazy, which I guess is probably fair. We just saw a monster and I was telling everyone to go to bed. But this obviously wasn't working. 
We needed to figure something else out. Sorry to wake you all up, I said, angry but also resigned. Crown frowned but didn't push the matter. I'll take another look at the video in the morning, he said. Later, guys, Lana said, then hung up. I headed for the kitchen. There was an entire bag of donut holes just sitting on the counter, and I swiped it and popped one in my mouth. Sam followed me. I could practically feel the frustration radiating off of him like steam off of a coffee cup. They're not ready to hear this, I said before he could get a word in. So you just tell him to go to bed? Sam replied. Did you not see Crown's eyes glaze over? Much like this donut, actually. I held one up before popping it into my mouth. That video was nonsense. We didn't get him in the first two minutes. We weren't going to get him if we kept going for another two hours. Sam paced back and forth behind the island. Seriously, how are you so calm? What are we supposed to do? We can't just stay here. I got into the fridge and grabbed myself a slice of cold pizza. I'm a bit of a stress eater, I suppose. Maybe they're right, I said. Maybe for the time being, we can stay safe if we just stay inside at night. I didn't really believe it, but I was now intent on calming Sam down. I don't like it, he said. I don't like it either, but I think we should just wait this thing out for tonight. See if Crown finds anything in the morning. I guess, Sam said. He wandered over the fridge, reached up to the top, and pulled a box of chocolates down. Wow, you just, like, got a stash on your fridge, I said. Yeah, he replied, distracted for the moment, seemingly back to his normal self in the face of food. Their chocolate lemon, made of myself. I picked up the lid and held it up for Sam to look at. These are frangos, actually, I said. Hey, I reused the box, okay? He actually looked a little offended, but I had the feeling he would be offended by just about anything right now. I didn't blame him. I grabbed a truffle out of the box and examined it. It was coated in a combination of rusty-colored cocoa powder and lemon zest. I took a bite and couldn't help but smile. This is good. Really, I mean it. I don't think your waffle truck is that far off. He laughed. Yeah, think I could pull it off? Oh, easy, I said. And I meant it. In fact, one waffle truck would be too easy, so eventually he would franchise. Sam's waffle trucks would line every street in New York, LA, Chicago. But Sam wouldn't care about any of that. He would make his money, and then he would settle down to scoop ice cream and sprinkles onto crispy little waffles. He would pass them out the windows of his truck, using napkins to shield him from the Seattle rain, and the streets would be happy. And I had to believe that Sam would be happy too. He would get there. We would all get there. October 2007. The moon hangs low in the sky tonight, and I can't help but think that it's not as bright as it could be. It would make it more difficult, but not impossible, to play the game. 
Increased darkness adds an element of danger, and I guess I don't mind that. In spite of the horrific events that kicked off the last five years, recently I find myself feeling a little bored. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon.